We have been so fortunate to have some amazing guests on this show, and today's is no different. Let's see how many hints it takes for you to guess who it is. She's a Hall of Famer and known throughout the sports world as one of the best motivational speakers. She currently holds the record for most national championships won in D1 softball, and she now leads one of the most influential companies for developing strong, confident athletes won softball. You gotta know by now, it's Sue Enquist, and just as expected, she really showed up for all of us in this episode, leaving both Alicia and I a little bit in awe and inspired to keep working and make an impact with those you work with. Which brings me to my shameless plug of the Difference Makers Bootcamp. If you're listening in on the day the episode goes live, which is Monday the 14th, bootcamp starts tonight. We're kicking off our first training from 8 to 8.30 Eastern. And for just $47 for your whole staff, you're going to take the first crucial step toward being the kind of team that's resilient, confident, and never gives up. And true to our style, it's both simple and actionable. No fluff here. So if you're in, head to mentalsweetspot.com slash coachbootcamp to grab your ticket ASAP. All right, now on to the show. Get your head in the game, coach. You're about to get your audio dose of softball inspiration. I'm Melanie Rushing. And I'm Alicia Smith, and we help softball teams win more games and have more fun. Right now, you're joining thousands of passionate coaches across the nation who are dragging the field, prepping for the day, or driving to that other job while they learn and grow as a coach. So if you're ready to learn how to build a strong team culture, get your players to believe, and make a real difference in their lives, you're in the right place. This is the Mental Sweet Spot Podcast. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Mental Sweet Spot podcast. Got a guest on today that we have been hoping for for a long time. I am so excited to bring this chat to you. Not only is she a legend in softball, but she's already leaving such an amazing legacy, and it's going to expand. You'll hear her talk about some of those things today, some of the initiatives she's working on. I cannot wait personally to hear more. So please welcome Coach Sue Enquist. Welcome. Well, thanks for having me. It's great to see both of you. Good to see you, Coach, and uh, thank you again for joining. We're we're really excited, like like we were talking about in the intro, just just to be able to for you to share uh, not only your experience but all of the passion that you have around uh, softball and youth youth athletes and athletes. So thank you again. Um, we just wanted to start off by. I know it might be kind of hard, but uh, just describe your journey, kind of like a 10,000 foot view of your journey from your playing days all the way up through current um, in your initiatives with one softball and everything that you're working on. Well, I think um, the, the easiest way to do it is it's easier to talk about what I'm not because that really drove my principles throughout my life. I was raised by a military father and a mother that was a nurse. So I had a wonderful combination of values and discipline and unwavering standards, but also this view of the world that I was taught at a very young age to never judge others because you've never walked in their shoes. So I am a beneficiary of Title IX. And so when I played, there were just boys, you play with the boys and girls didn't have opportunities. And so probably the biggest turning point was in high school, Title IX was enacted. I had the opportunity to play both girls softball and boys baseball. Boys baseball, and that was quite controversial, but that's how I got to UCLA because it was in the paper. They didn't really do official recruiting. You just were on campus and you played. And so I entered UCLA with a team that was just hovering above club status. And why that was such a special journey was I was a part of a team that wore the men's track team practice t-shirts as game uniforms. And was able to watch how you build and sustain a program. And 
my sophomore year, Sharon Backus came in and said, we don't have money, we don't have uniforms, but we have work ethic and uh, we have amazing people here and really learned to establish this idea that the game doesn't really know, you know, how much money's in your pocket or what kind of uniforms you wear. And so in three years, we went from a non-ranked team uh, to going to the national championship and winning a championship and got into coaching, wasn't gonna get into coaching, was gonna be a respiratory therapist, got my degree in kinesiology and worked for Sharon as an assistant co-head coach and a head coach. Then I retired, uh, enjoyed that journey like no other, uh, super proud of the type of families we were able to recruit at UCLA. And when I retired, I was really interested in seeing if I could help softball's first impression, if I could help at the rec ball level. So in retirement, I was a development officer for a few years, but was really working on One Softball, which is our online platform. It's free for the parents, players, and coaches. We have over a thousand videos of our best talking about leadership, talking about failure recovery, technical development, path to college, uh, from resources that are vetted and verified. And then from there, Um, Really, um, what's been really enjoyable for me is I now teach graduate school back at UCLA because we're starting a transformative leadership uh, master's program. So I'm teaching in the master's department and also helping with some initiatives around mental health in the youth sector. And so um, I'm able, you know, when you're in your chapter two, you get to pick your projects. So I don't have a boss, which is great. And I'm in the water every day surfing. That's my real equalizer. Um, There it is at 10,000 feet. So amazing. I want to jump right into your initiatives now. Talk about what you're doing for building awareness around mental health. Because even I I had my master's in sports psych, so I had a little dose of it. Even I was intimidated, honestly, by the topic. Um, So can you tell a little bit about what you're working on now and how you're getting that to more coaches, players, humans? Yeah, sure. Well, first of all, it's important to share with you that here in Orange County, we have uh, twice the suicide rate of youth teen suicide in so uh, in sport. And so it hit home for me. And then especially when we lost Emma Pangelinen from the um, Batbuster organization. Um, and she was somebody that uh, was just such a, an amazing student athlete and somebody that uh, really, really um, profiled the typical A student, top player, projected D1, projected Pac-12, and was living this really charmed life. But on the inside, there was a whole nother story going on and we lost her to suicide. In that, we formed a consortia of our top association executive directors, our top coaches, our top resources and said, we're just gonna come together, provide resources and those people that need them, will have them there and available. And we named ourselves the Health uh, and Wellness Consortium, HAWC, H-A-W-C. And it ended up being tremendous. And I met Dr. Susie McNulty, who's a pediatric uh, doctor and we've partnered and we're gonna be at the convention um, this week and we're gonna be talking about how coaches from a non-medical perspective, from a practitioner's perspective, how we can do better at practice 
in helping provide an opportunity for them to exhale for those two hours when you do get them back out on the field because there's such a gap between what our coaches think the players need and what the players want. And so how you navigate that. And then what we're doing on top of that is in 2021, Dr. McNulty has partnered with um, two or three of the national associations, the medical associations, and we're going to be doing a national um, investigation around uh, what's happening with our student athletes in sport, specifically in softball. And we got a grant to be doing this. So we'll be doing a national questionnaire uh, for our, our youth softball teams. And we're able to talk about that on our NFCA uh, segment uh, this week. That is just such a, you, you said, it's like, how can we bridge that gap and allow even even having the coaches understand how to be able to get that time in practice or how do they reach out appropriately and how do they have those conversations? And a lot of it is this big generation gap as well, like just trying to understand how to even begin to approach the subject. And I think there's still this um, awful stigma around mental health. And I can only imagine how it's just been uh, exacerbated by COVID and all of the you know uh, isolation and without sport um, and every state is different. So. What, how do you deal with that? And what do you, what do you, what is the suggestion for kind of even starting that approach? I think it all starts with the coaches understanding that there's a different agenda. So many coaches that get into coaching have a innate desire to win. They love winning, but where there's the disconnect is many of these student athletes, especially today in 2020, they are looking at sport as an escape. They're not looking at it to spend two hours, uh, see if I can change my elbow angle on my club head release. There is a huge um, awareness gap. And, uh, you know, to be candid, gosh, almost half of my career, I was that person. I had those blind spots where I thought about the game 24 seven. I loved the game. I love trying to get better every day. And I can remember Papa Wooden, Coach Wooden, who was a great thought leader, basketball coach at UCLA, said, Sue, you're one of the people that are going to have to understand there are going to be days you have to protect the kids from yourself. And I encourage the listeners out there that are leaders and coaches, are you that person that needs to protect your kids from yourself on those days you're so driven? And it's about you know, today we can get 1,275 swings in if we're just super efficient on those seven stations. Instead, start the practice with an eye-to-eye -eye circle. What is that? Just allow your kids to get in a circle, look at each other eye-to-eye -eye, and say, is everybody good? Does anybody need us to get your back? Just the sheer three minutes, eye-to-eye -eye circle, not the coaches. And so the team learns that, when you're at practice, we give to the game. Everybody defaults to be a number two in your own life for those two hours. Super hard because we're all wired to be in the I game. But for two hours, we commit, I'm going to be number two in my own life, but we have to take a minute in the eye to eye circle because someone may be struggling with a boyfriend, struggling with school, struggling with parents, struggling with COVID health issues in their family. And to be able to just simply say, teammates, somebody get my back. I'm not at 100% today. I'm at 40%. Hey, you know what, Jana, we've got your back. Hey, you know what, Mel, we've got your back. 
And that's a release to know you're not traveling into the next two hours alone. Now, what coaches need to understand is if we aren't good good enough at our craft to make practice fun, then we shouldn't be claiming that we're a professional. And so for me, when I say somebody's a professional, they have the science around the technology that they're teaching, the the principles that they're teaching. They have the practitioner time that they've invested to understand what makes an efficient practice. And then they have a love that allows the players to be themselves, to have fun, and to weave through your two-hour practice a little bit of silly, a little bit of support, and just making sure that they leave. And I always ask coaches to, to ask their players, was this the best two hours of your day? Because that's what I was shooting for every day is I didn't want them to say, oh my gosh, I, I'm dreading practice. They have enough going on in their life. They, they're competing with social media. They're competing for likes. They've got to take a picture of all their food. You know, imagine, like imagine, can you imagine, like, can you imagine growing up and like, oh my gosh, I got to take another picture of my taco and give the peace sign. I mean, it, it's got, it's, it would be exhausted. I always tell the kids that I work with, I go, man, it must be rough, like to be on 24 seven, you know? And, you know, I just, they're like, oh, you know, that's just my, that's my fake Instagram, right? So then I had to learn, you know, a few years ago, I learned about the fake Instagram They're like, oh, coach, that's just the fake one. We only post there like once a day. My real Instagram is Dark Horse 47. I'm like, what's on Dark Horse? Well, Dark Horse, I'm I'm posting, you know, three, four times an hour. I'm like, got it. (laughs) No wonder they're exhausted, right? (laughs) So true. I can't imagine going through what they do. I get exhausted trying to keep up for the business. Yep. No doubt. (laughs) Oh, you brought up a really good point that I feel like people talk about a lot. Uh, I ask coaches, like, what's important to you? How do you know you're doing a good job? And they say the things like, I want them to have fun. I want them to enjoy practice. What are some indicators in your mind that they really did enjoy those two hours while still not leaving behind the development piece? Because when you really ask them, they want to develop too. So we don't have to always just have a game of tag in there to make it count as a fun practice. What are some of those indicators, those things that can show a coach like, yes, okay, I'm on the right track. These are, these are good practices. I'm doing what I want to. I look to two two of my senses. I always listened for the energy level and I always looked for the hustle. So I'd set up practice. I mean, you can imagine I have it down to the minute and I am executing practice and, and coaching becomes fun when you can let go of your ego and you're 20 minutes in and you're like, yep, this is a crappy plan. And in that moment, stop everything. Like I challenge all the leaders out there, no matter what sport, no matter what you're doing, if you've got a plan, you're executing the plan, you're in the plan and you're always using two senses. I'm listening for the energy and I'm looking to see for the hustle. You're like, yeah, this is a bad plan. Call timeout, bring everybody in. And I just exercise my own failure recovery. We had a failure recovery system at UCLA. I execute it in front of the team. I said, I'm bringing this in. I spent two hours planning this hour and 15 minute practice and um, this is crazy town because it's not working. So I want to go ahead and ask your permission. I'm going to go ahead and switch some, some things up, 
challenge us a little bit more. It's going to be a little bit harder, but I'm going to give you the minutes back on the back end. Meaning now they know they were demonstrating they didn't like practice. Now they're going to raise their energy. They'll be more fatigued. And then I'll give them, you know, currency for athletes is minutes at practice. That's their currency, right? So you're, they're always negotiating for the minutes, right? Coach, if we do this, can we get three minutes all, out early, right? And I am the sucker that always played that game. Like I was so in, oh, you can, you go 10 for 10 on hitting in the four corners, all the middles, all six of the middles go 10 for 10 on the four corners. Oh, heck yes. I mean, you can get out an extra four minutes. I mean, I never, I never lost that bet, but I love playing it. And then the energy goes up, the competition's there. They see their coach fail. They see their coach owning the failure. And that's one thing that we spend a lot of time at UCLA is fail hard, fail fast, meaning you've got to fail, feel it, and move on very quickly. And if you don't, there's a heavy price to pay at UCLA. Uh, coach Wooden taught me people get really smart on the bench. And so we did use that a lot. I mean, I know people are like, oh, you're not supposed to do that. You're not supposed to make them run. And well, that worked for us. I know that sounds antiquated, but it worked for us at practice because practices were really, they look forward to coming to practice. So if I put them on the bench, meaning, you know what? I think I'm not sure you're really seeing what we're trying to do. I'm going to have you watch. And that was the worst thing you could do to a Bruin student athlete is take them off the party train and put them in the train station. They hated that. And so we would just, each player would learn about failure either through discipline, they got put on the bench to watch practice or watching me just pat my chest. Like we, we literally taught them a routine because many of these student athletes would come in and they wouldn't, they wouldn't know how to say my bad without an excuse. And so I said, okay, we're going to teach you own the moment, my bad, give the outs, signaling to everybody you're back, you know the situation, and then point to a teammate. So I'm going to own it, come back really quickly, give you the outs, make eye contact that I'm in it with you to a, a player that's next to you. And that was a, a failure recovery system that we did every single day. We even had a station where they practice it because we'd make a drill super hard Target practice, right? Super hard to go 10 for 10. And every time they failed, they'd have to say, you know, my bad, two outs, point to a teammate. And it's kind of funny now because the majority of my players now have kids. And we did a, uh, um, a they all have kids and we wanted to get them all together. So pre-COVID, we, uh, my family name, um, I say it again, my family name to the listeners, my family name is tutu. So um, I had a camp tutu for all my Bruin student athletes and their children. And I thought there'd be a handful would come down. Well, long story short, we had 38 people and, and children. And I was teaching them, you know, how to say my bad, you know, and it was really fun because um, my players are like, you didn't really have that kind of tone when you were teaching us failure recovery, they were all saying, yeah, I kind of wish I could play for, for Tutu and not Coach Enquist. <laughs> You're like, yeah, but you weren't seven. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. We had kids 
we had kids that were um, two months old to 14 years old, 12 years, 12 to down to, to like a month old. It was fun. It sounds fun. I want to do that with my team too. Cause I, I now have been coaching long enough where I have former players that have children too. So yes. that sounds like a great idea. Yes. Coach, I want to go back to something you were talking about with, um, you were kind of alluded to the distractions, all the distractions that we have and specifically Instagram and the phone. So I wanted to quickly share something with you and then get your feedback and maybe some thoughts on, on what you could give advices to coaches. So I'm currently working with a team and I, uh, they're, you know, 14 to 16 years old. And I challenged them to put their phone down for 15 minutes while they were studying just put it away, not even have it next to them, but put it away and reflect on what happened. So the team came back and said, oh, I was more focused. I got more done. I actually put down the phone and had some conversations with my family. So I wanna read this one to you that actually came from a coach. When I put my phone down, I feel less anxious. It helps me not feel like I'm controlled by other people's expectations for a quick and immediate response, especially texts and emails. But this is the world we live in. I feel calm and more balanced when I'm not always frantic to meet others' expectations. Gives me a chance to think about what I need to do for me. And I think what's really, I think that's super powerful that one, he shared that with his team because it isn't just the players, right? It's the coaches too. And their mental health is just as important. And I think sometimes coaches can be, they want to help so, so badly. And they're so distracted by everything else in their world. They forget about themselves. So what advice would you have for coaches out there to also help to remember to take care of themselves? Well, I think that there's a couple things here because you have, there's one group of people that need to understand this age group never grew up without it. So it's not when, when we say technology, it's not technology to them, it's their lifestyle. That's number one. And then number two, is once you do understand you're a person, an adult, that the phone came into your life, I challenge you way more. That came into your life. You know what it felt like before you had that phone. And so that's just a discipline. And so what I would do is on a day-to-day basis, I would just have it stack it. I would just, um, you're going to try to take more control of the phone. Then you've got to pick a part of the day where you automatically do something every day. So for me, when I'm trying to, uh, I call it a micro behavior. When I'm trying to change a micro behavior, I will always do it first thing in the morning because I have such a ritual that's unchangeable. It just, I'm, I could bat a thousand. So if I'm going to, let's say I'm gonna learn not to use a phone for 10 minutes. When I wake up, the first thing that I do is I grab my water and drink my water. My feet haven't even gotten out of bed yet. That's when I'm gonna do the formal, grab my phone and then put it right by my water bottle. And that's my habit. And I'm stacking a new one on top of it. And I can't go back to that until I finish my next routine, which is go brush my teeth, my next routine, which is working out. So now I've covered that window, people, struggle with changing habits because they don't know how to frame it and always frame it next to something that you do each and every day. That's for the adults, habit stacking. For the athlete, I would recommend not trying to do it by yourself. I would pick a partner, get an accountability partner and set a plan for when the two of you are going to go dark together. 
They love, the Gen Zs love to do things together. And so this will be easier. If my best friend, Mary Thompson and I, we have the same schedule, we're in the same school, we're on the same softball team. We're gonna shut down between the end of school and the start of softball practice. That could end up being an hour and 15 minutes. But I'm not, I don't have that sense of being left behind because my best friend, Mary Thompson, is doing it too. That's how I would start. Um, I always share with people, start with tiny, tiny habits, tiny tips. Don't do big, giant, big things. Do, do little tiny things, get momentum. Once you get momentum, you can kind of take on the bigger ones. That's an excellent point, especially when you get into the realm of like high achievers and like the go-getters and like, we're always expected to go for the biggest thing, right? Yeah. <laughs> How do you balance that? Cause UCLA, literally the top in athletics and academics. <laughs> so talk about high achieving. And then you're getting to the kids when they're really early now, younger stages, but they still have that drive. How have you, in all of your teachings and learnings, how have you framed that for kids, learning these behaviors that'll help them, making the small changes? How do you teach them, even from a young age, that you can strive for really big things? with small manageable steps? You know, I think, and it's a great question. And I think for, for me personally, I had great uh, structure around me growing up with my mom and dad. And then I had great structure with Coach Wooden and learned early on with my family that there is no standard that will ever be bigger than the Enquist standard. And so wherever I went, oftentimes, I could get away with not doing everything I was supposed to do because they didn't, they didn't have a standard that was as high. And I would encourage everyone to be intentional and take time thinking about your own personal standards. And what are you hoping to be when the season's over? And then write down that list of things that you will need to do to hit that standard. And if you are intentional every day about your expectations, you're so busy taking care of your own micro behaviors, you won't be busy looking at other people. The more you look left and right, the more you're going to get a stomachache because nobody is more prepared, is more talented and more capable of being you than you. And so you're here for a purpose. And the only thing that we want to hold you accountable to isn't to be the best one, be the best you. And when we can get athletes that really start to focus on that, then the perfectionism tendencies can be tackled every day because you're really clear on, these are the things that are important to me. These allow me to be who I am. These are the things that will allow me to improve. And I am going to be my own best coach. And I always tell student athletes, you have a strong voice and a weak voice in your head. And they're constantly fighting with each other. And you've got to listen to that voice. You know what that strong voice feels like. And we're not strong every day. You know, I coached 15 Olympians and we had at least three or four that dealt with a diagnosed mental health performance anxiety. And so I want those students and those parents out there that have children that have performance anxiety, don't think that they are damaged. Don't think that they're weak sauce. 
mental health issues are just like an Achilles heel. You've got to look at it. You've got to build a structure around it. You've got to manage it. And you've got to be around people that are going to respect you when you get into a heightened state. And, you know, performance anxiety from a non-medical way where you're just, I'm super nervous. That's easy because that our brain is wired, not my background's in science, but I won't go too deep, but our brain is wired to protect us 24 seven. So when you start to actively think about something is super important, your brain goes super important. Whoa, everybody, blood vessels, everything get going really fast. And then once your blood gets going really fast, you're going to start sweating or your throat will get sticky and it'll start manifesting what your brain is telling your body to do. I always Think about like when we would go to the World Series, you know, I used to always say the game doesn't know we're in the finals of the World Series. Your body doesn't know that. Your that excitement, you could tell your body you're at a wedding. You could tell your body that you're on a Ferris wheel. So we can control the thoughts and then some really quick little tips around breathing we just don't make breathing a standard like we should. We should be doing our breathing routines just like we do hitting off a tee. Our breathing exercises. If you said to me today, Sue, you're coaching, you're back coaching in 2020. What would you do? Tea work for 15 minutes before practice every day or breathing exercises, hands down, breathing exercises. Then I'd make them stay after and do the tea work. No, just kidding. <laughs> I'm dying. <laughs> That's amazing. Oh, that uh, you had five my jock moments in um one span there. So I'm gonna have to choose which one to quote. Um, but before we let you go, we want to be respectful of your time. Tell everybody where we can find out more about one softball and the stuff that you're working on now, and how to just keep following you. Yes, you can. You can reach me on Twitter. Uh, that's where I am most of the time at Sue Enquist. I'm on Instagram, but I'm not a full, I'm not a full timer on Instagram S Enquist six. Um, but uh, most importantly, you can reach me at Sue S U E at one softball and one is spelled out.com. Thank you so much, coach. We really, really appreciate your time. And this was awesome. Thank you for sharing uh, not only with us and our listeners, but thank you for all you do for the softball community and the coaches and everyone else that you touch. So thank you so much. Well, thank you. Thank you to both of you. And congratululations to both of you on your great work. This, this work you. really is terrific. So happy holidays to both of you. Thank you. Same you to you well. and your family. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Yeah, and that is unfortunately a wrap on this episode. I know you could listen to her talk for hours just like we could, but keep tuning in as we have more great guests lined up to round out 2020. And set yourself up for success in 2021 by joining my bootcamp. Mentalsweetspot.com slash coachbootcamp. And it starts tonight, if it's Monday the 14th. And I would love to see you in there. All right, that's all for today. Thank you again for tuning in and have a good one.